Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. Federal agencies and research programs have pivoted in all sorts of ways to respond to COVID-19, from leveraging the Defense Production Act to scale up manufacturing of testing materials and personal protective equipment, to pushing new efforts forward in the race for a vaccine. The virus is now reshaping the work that program managers are conducting at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, as a number of their programs have adjusted their research to address COVID-19. Today, I speak with Dr. Renee Wegerson, one of 11 of DARPA's Biological Technologies Office Program Managers. She joined DARPA in 2016 with the interest of applying synthetic biology and gene editing technologies to biosecurity. Although she leads a number of programs, Dr. Wiggerson's Detect It with Gene Editing Technologies, or DIGIT program, has started looking into how to leverage gene editing to develop deployable diagnostic and biosurveillance technologies that can help address COVID-19 and other pathogenic threats. The program is only just ramping up now, but in the interview, Dr. Wiggerson discusses the roles of scalability, data analytics, partnerships with other federal agencies, and privacy protection in DIGIT. Well, hey, Renee. Welcome to HealthCast. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I just wanted to get started by touching upon a program that you oversee. You do manage a number of programs at DARPA's Biological Technologies Office, but lately your program, DIGIT, has been capturing some attention due to its potential use cases for surveillance of COVID-19. Can you explain the history of the program? Sure. DIGIT is a program that the acronym stands for Detect It with Gene Editing Technologies. And it's really a program that is a iteration of a lot of investment from DARPA in gene editing technologies, looking for safer gene editing technologies and also countermeasure development. And DIGIT rounds it out with the pursuit of diagnostics in this domain of gene editing, really with the goal to detect any threat anytime, anywhere. So we want to be ready for emergent threats and be able to respond and find them immediately. And given its original purpose, how has the program be repurposed to address the novel coronavirus? So what a lot of people don't realize about DIGIT yet is it hasn't officially started, actually. So we had a call for proposals out in the fall. And we knew that we would be developing platforms for any emergent threat. And it just so happened that during this call for proposals, the COVID-19 outbreak really started to take shape. And so we had some early investment prior to the full-blown program that is allowing us to pivot and take a look at gene editing technologies for the specific detection of SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19. We're still set to launch the full DIGIT program here in late summer or early fall. So technically that work hasn't even yet gone underway for the full program. Uh, I got you. So given that timeline, when can we see solutions from programs like DIGIT coming to operational use? What will it look like on the ground? Will it only be used for military use cases? Or do we think we can see them being more commonly used in general disease and biological threat detection? Right. So the really exciting thing for me about gene editing technologies is that they really are a platform and can be utilized for use for infectious disease. They could be used for cancer diagnostics. Obviously, at DARPA here, we're looking at national security, which does include public health as well. So we see this as an opportunity over the next four years of the DIGIT program to develop a suite of tools that can be used point of need 
So this means really, you know, untrained user, it could be self-administered, potentially administered at home, all the way to more advanced technologies that require a trained user in a clinical laboratory to look at thousands of targets simultaneously. So we really do see this as an opportunity to develop this commercially and have this available at home and in labs. And the Department of Defense can then be a customer of that commercialized and advanced development in the long term. And given you touching upon how this can be commercialized and sort of used in so many use applications, you've also said previously that gene editing systems enable speed, precision, and accuracy in pathogen detection. In the case of COVID-19, we also need mass scalability and solutions. How do you think DIGIT can be scaled up to the level of need to detect COVID-19 across the country once it's able to deploy? And if it is to be deployed, who would oversee its use? Yeah, so you have a few questions there, but I'll try to break those down. In terms of the reagents required for an assay based on gene editing, one of the exciting parts for us is a lot of those tools can be reused in many tests. So if you just take something like uh, Cas13 or Cas12, some of these RNA editors that can detect your pathogen, those can be reused in many tests where there's only one small ingredient, which is guide RNAs that are precise for SARS or for flu or for whatever you might be looking for. And so in that way, we can mass produce some of those core components that can be used in a broad number of tests and then really have that just-in-time manufacturing of the small guide sequences that make it specific for SARS or make it specific for flu. And based on that, this is really where we see the promise of these technologies that we can repurpose them. Right now, we're really focused on SARS too, but in the fall, you know, we need to be thinking about flu as well. And so can we develop a test that we can be looking for SARS and flu at the same time, which maybe in a clinic may first manifest and, you know, really a doctor may not be able to tell by just looking at a patient, they're going to have to go forward with a quick test. For that manufacturer, we are also exploring with some of this early pre-digit investment lateral flow technology, which is best recognized as a pregnancy test. So you have a simple you know, strip on a piece of paper that darkens if you're pregnant, or in this case, it would be if that pathogen is present. And so those are the types of designs that we're exploring currently that we hope in the next few months, if we're successful, can really bring that out into the public for use against this immediate outbreak. Yeah, that's definitely a great accessible way of sort of bringing about a solution that I think that a lot of people are sort of clamoring for right now. I'll just add that the familiarity of something like a pregnancy test, I mean, this is, we're not reinventing the wheel in terms of that technology to have that readout, but where we are innovating is on the front end in the detection. And so it's really a way for DARPA to innovate technology, but make use of already existing good technology that's off the shelf that we can couple together to make sure we get this into users' hands quickly in a format that's going to be familiar to them. It's nice to see that we're using these pre-existing solutions to sort of address COVID-19, which is unprecedented for modern times. And you were also talking about the flu, which we've definitely seen for a very long time. So along those lines, have there been any precedent situations that has led DARPA to pioneer and plan around potential biological or pathogenic threats? Do those precedents inform how programs like yours approach their work? Yeah. So unfortunately, in national security, we don't always have the luxury of knowing what's going to be coming. So we have to be prepared for anything. And that's why we like technologies like these that are really platformed that allow us to have a last minute you know, reconfiguration and pivot and still be relevant. But one of the things that really actually there's two things that really motivated me to launch this program. 
The first is, you know, having lived through the H1N1 pandemic in 2009, watching a number of diagnostics go through emergency use authorization by the regulatory bodies, but yet manufacturing was really unable to keep up with the development of those tests. So there was great technology that was available, but it couldn't get out to the masses. So with Digit, we wanted to really address and solve that problem. And the second piece of it actually has to do with H1N1 as well, which is early on, there was a flu detected by existing biosurveillance platforms, but it was unsubtypable. So we say, hmm, there's something here. It's probably flu, but we're not exactly sure what it is. And so it did take some time to really understand what H1N1 was. And that was precious time loss that could be you know, used to isolate individuals, quarantine them, or get out the right medicines. And so we really wanted to be able to address both of those to have a very specific test early on that could detect, you know, hey, this is not SARS-1 or MERS. This is SARS-2, something totally different. And then, you know, quickly, let's be able to mass produce this and get it out there so it can actually make an impact in a timeline that's meaningful. Excellent. I know that with a lot of the solutions we've been talking about and, you know, the technologies that are pushing forward, we've often seen information technologies like data and data analytics being critical to different detection programs, like contact tracing. Do you see these being critical to programs like yours or to gene editing technologies at large? Absolutely. It's inextricable. It's a core component of the DIGIT effort. We see this in some of our early work with Hardy Savetti and her team in an effort pre-DIGIT that we're funding to, in part, explore COVID. And what Pardis and her team did was develop an algorithm that could pull sequence in real time off the databases and start to analyze sequences like SARS-2 and identify guide sequences that could be used in these diagnostic assays and be implemented immediately. When we first had a conversation with that team, when the sequences were made available in SARS-2, they had the first assays designed within four hours, which is you know, pretty incredible when you think about most existing diagnostics that require an antibody or something similar certainly have a much longer time frame. So you know, the slowest part of that entire process was actually ordering the reagents and getting the nucleic acid synthesized to build those tests, which took us about three weeks after that initial design. But without that computational front end to make sure we have something that's very specific and won't be cost-reacting elsewhere. You know, the test really won't be that powerful without that computational front end. Definitely. And just to step back a bit, looking at your program, the BTO has been working in a number of areas I've seen in repurposing their programs to find solutions to COVID-19, whether it's in testing or detection and tracking. So how do you think that DARPA is collaborating with the at-large national response and research through its work? Are there any key federal academic or industry partners you're working with? Sure. All of the above. We already, prior to COVID, had strong relationships with our other DOD agencies, as well as Health and Human Services, which includes, of course, NIH and BARDA and other agencies. And so those interactions have only increased in recent months and weeks, where you know, we try to coordinate across efforts and share quite a bit of data. So just as an example, for some of the early work on some of the COVID diagnostics, we're actually having our teams ship out the reagents to our government partners and to get it into their hands and provide feedback on how could we make those tests better, but then also get an understanding of the different types of samples that may be collected. So some groups might be looking at saliva samples, others at you know nasal swabs, and we really want to get the broadest picture of how our tests might perform in these conditions. And that feedback, and it's almost real time with our performers or our grantees, has really been valuable to the development of world-class tests. Yeah. And likewise, do you find your programs ever collaborating with other programs and projects at DARPA? And if so, what do those partnerships look like? 
Sure. So internal to DARPA, there's a lot of the discussion among the program managers. So we're a small group in BTO. There's probably about right around 10 of us. And we talk a lot with those teams. If for some of my therapeutics efforts related to COVID, we were having discussions around animal models and who's developing, you know, a hamster model or a mouse model or a non-human primate that might be useful for study across the teams. So we should definitely share a lot of information. We make introductions among our performers. So one of our grantees maybe have having a challenge with a problem. And we may be aware as a funder of another grantee that has solved that problem. And so we want to make sure those folks are talking and exchanging information. And so that also is certainly happening in real time as we go forward in this crisis. Do you think that DIGIT and other programs that are similar to it could collaborate with other programs to form coordinated testing, surveillance, and treatment efforts to public health emergencies like the one we're seeing with COVID? Yeah, I think ultimately we could. You know, we're still an early stage technology development organization. And so over the next few months, I think we anticipate we're going to have additional tests that are out there that are approved by the regulatory bodies, but we don't have a long list of those yet. And so as we build out that list, that's going to be an important opportunity for us to get those tests to our, you know, sister agencies and then ultimately, you know, more locally to hospitals and schools and where that testing may be needed in the future. But that's really the vision on such short timescales, which is pretty unusual for DARPA to be working on the six month to one year timescale. We're usually, you know, five to 10 years out. So it's a real test of our technologies to try to pivot and be responsive to this outbreak. But it's been exciting to see us able to do so since we are, I think, so adaptive as an organization not only in terms of technology, but you know, our contracting officers are also really world-class, making sure that we have solutions to be able to you know, leverage our investment in the near term. Yeah, that's definitely great. And I definitely see how agencies like DARPA and just in general across the nation right now, the mass collaboration and scaling up of work in response to COVID has been astounding. Just to pivot a bit too, we do live in an era in which people are protective of their privacy and are wary of hyper-surveillance. Although DIGIT and similar programs can play a role in protecting people from COVID-19, how can you strike a balance between public health safety and individual privacy protection? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And of course, with the DIGIT program, we are pursuing all the appropriate regulatory approvals to make sure that those protections are in place for patients. That's, you know, first and foremost. But secondarily, we also have what we call an LC panel that's associated with this program. So LC is ethical, legal, societal issues. And so really trying to think ahead to challenges that we may face along the way and bringing in bioethicists and legal experts, regulatory experts to make sure that we're designing our tests up front and designing our computational systems and measurement and readout in a way that we're protective of that privacy. Some of the DIGIT goals, if we start to look at patient samples across a thousand different targets, you know, we may be looking for something like a respiratory disease, but just by the nature of the test being so expansive, we may reveal other underlying disorders that maybe that patient wasn't necessarily looking for in that, you know, diagnostic. And so understanding, you know, how do we report that to the patient appropriately is going to be an important part of this and that we need to co-develop over the next few years of this program. Just to sort of look toward the future, as I was talking about before, COVID-19 has been pushing the frontier of medical technologies and innovation. How do you see pressures from the pandemic affecting your work? And how do you think this moment will impact the future of gene editing research? 
You know, I think that all of our performers and program managers and, and my team, you know, taking this outbreak so seriously and really we believe in this gene editing technology, not only to help us diagnose disease, but potentially treat and have a prophylaxis against diseases like this. Often in a DARPA program, we may build in something called a pressure test where we say, you know, at year one of the program, we're going to give you a challenge and your team has 90 days to make something happen. And we build that in as a test of, you know, here's a snapshot of how well your technology is doing. Well, COVID-19 has forced us to do this even before the Digit program has started, which is pretty phenomenal that our teams are rising to the challenge that we had funded earlier. And I think to really show that gene editing technologies can be used to quickly develop assays that are impactful and relevant to an outbreak. And moreover, I really do want to highlight another program of mine called Prepare, which is a medical preparedness program that leverages gene editing technologies transiently to do something like take an RNA editor and rather than just detect a virus and report that it's there, effectively shred that virus and neutralize it. And if we can deliver that simply to the lungs of a patient that is suffering from a respiratory disease, that's really going to you know, put us in an advantage going forward. These are tests that we're starting to explore now in animals. It's still early days, but if successful, we think that those types of, they're called CRISPR-based technologies, these gene editing tools, they'll be useful for future pandemics. Again, we'll just need the sequence information of what that pathogen is, make sure we can deliver it to the right site, which could be the lungs, and then neutralize the virus right there in situ. So I do think our teams will rise to the challenge and hopefully prove that out during this pandemic. And I hope so too. That being said, thank you so much for all the work you do. It really is giving people a lot of hope in this moment we're in. And thank you for joining us on HealthCast. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and excited to connect with you further when we hopefully have some good results in the future. Thank you, Dr. Wiggerson, for your insight into Digit and your other programs. Along with Digit, Dr. Wiggerson also oversees a program called Preemptive Expression of Protective Alleles and Response Elements, or PREPARE which aims to identify innate host genetic defenses against threats and develop new, scalable, and quick-to-deploy medical countermeasures. This programs and others at DARPA BTO hold further potential in making discoveries in and responding to COVID-19. Find out more about these programs at DARPA.mil. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Ryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.